The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. My name is Linda House, and I am the president of the Cancer Support Community. I am your guest host today, filling in for Kim Tebeldo. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. As many of you know, one of our goals of Frankly Speaking About Cancer is to help you make informed decisions for yourself and also for your loved ones. We have never shied away from difficult or uncomfortable topics, as many of you know, listening to this show week after week. We have talked about everything from end-of-life planning to sexuality and intimacy after a cancer diagnosis to life after a loved one has died. With all of the emotional and practical issues attached to that, we've had Broadway stars, on the show, so we um, we, we want to continue having that that broad dialogue with you and facing you know really important topics openly and frankly. And today we're going to talk about one that a lot of people don't necessarily talk about because of the sensitivities around it, and that is the HPV vaccine. It's a topic that can be unsettling for many people, and particularly parents who may have decided or have not decided to vaccinate their preteen children. Although the vaccine is extremely effective in preventing cervical and other cancers caused by various strains of the HPV virus, we still find that it's underutilized. We have two guests with us on the show today to help shed light on really what is a complex topic, again, to help you make decisions for yourself or your loved ones. Dr. Lois Ramondetta joined the staff of MD Anderson's Cancer Center, Department of Gynecologic Oncology and Reproductive Medicine, after completing a fellowship in 2000. In addition to being a full-time professor, she is also the Chief of Gynecologic Oncology at Lyndon Baines Johnson County Hospital. She served as the Principal Investigator for several treatment and psychosocial trials at MD Anderson and Lyndon Baines Johnson Hospital, and has been integral in bringing these trials to the underinsured and uninsured communities throughout the MD Anderson Outreach Network. Dr. Ramondetta is currently a co-lead for the MD Anderson Cancer Center's HPV Cancer Moonshot. A number of us have heard about the moonshot. She has chaired four annual cervical cancer summits in Houston and is passionate about building a network of community providers and interested parties who will work together to eliminate cervical cancer and HPV-related disease in Texas and beyond. Welcome so much to the show. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Dr. Stan Spinner is also with us, and he is the Chief Medical Officer at Texas Children's Pediatrics and Texas Children's Urgent Care. 
He's been practicing pediatrics in Houston for over 30 years now. Dr. Spinner is also an assistant clinical professor at Baylor College of Medicine and has been named Outstanding Pediatrician both locally and on the state level, as well as Outstanding Educator for High School Interns. Thank you also for being here with us, Dr. Spinner. It's my pleasure to be here. Dr. Ramondetta, let's start with you. And you heard me mention in the introduction that the vaccine is underutilized. Can you give us a sense of of what that really means and what percentage of of parents are or aren't vaccinating their children? Uh, Yes, actually. And, you know, the United States is one of those areas that has some of the lowest vaccination rates worldwide. Um, The most recent data came in, and it reflects 2015 data, and it came in over the summer. And it looks like for completing the series that about 42% of girls get all three shots that had been required. And I say had been, as we just recently heard uh, from the CDC and the American College of Immunization Practice, that if you are under 15, now you only need two shots. So, so the data reflects needing three shots. And as of this summer, 42% of girls and about 28% of boys get all three shots and are fully protected. So far less than we'd like to see. And this is in comparison to perhaps the meningitis vaccine or the pertussis vaccine where we actually hit rates of 75 to 80%. And so let's just really step back and break things down for our listeners. So we're talking about vaccines. And for those who may may not have a full understanding of what what is a vaccine, uh, talk to us about you know, about, about what those really are um, and, and, and why it's so important. Well, there are lots of different types of vaccines, and I'm sure Dr. Spinner can help us with some of that. But the, the main thing to know is that this vaccine is made from a piece of protein, uh, uh, something that can't cause an infection. You can't get an infection from this vaccine. So it's a piece of the capsule of a virus. And we have viruses all around us all the time. And the, what this vaccine does is take a piece of this protein and link it to something that helps us mount an immune response. So it is much more powerful than if you got exposed to the virus on your own. So, so let's step back for a second. About 80% of people or 8 out of 10 people in the world will be exposed to HPV in their lifetime. So this is a very common virus. It's around us, and there are, we can talk more about how you get exposed, but there, the chances are high that you're going to be exposed. And most people, their immune systems are going to work well enough to get rid of the virus. But that doesn't happen in everyone, and it's in those few people where it sticks around that you can get a cancer. Now, the, what the vaccine does is help your immune system respond so much more strongly to the HPV virus when you're exposed that it gets wiped outside of your body. It's gone. And, and that's the important thing. You can't get the HPV virus from this vaccine. It's just a piece of protein, a piece of the capsule of the virus. And it helps us beat off this infection much more powerfully than a natural infection would. Mm-hmm. And so, so you, you mentioned it. Let's follow through with the HPV virus. What is it? How is it transmitted? And I'm shocked to hear that 8 out of 10 people are exposed to it. Yeah. So it's a very common virus. It is the same virus type that causes warts on your fingers and on your, on your feet. But there are 100, 150 different types of HPV viruses. So the ones that cause warts on the feet but, and the hands, but there are also types that cause warts only in the genital area or in the anal area. 
And then there are types that are more prone to causing cancer. And those are that can infect your mouth. They can infect really the mucosal membrane. So your mouth, the back of your throat, and in your anal or genital area. Um, and it usually goes away. Like I said before, the, your body usually is able to fight off this infection and it goes away. But in some people, it sticks around and it, and it, um, it, it kind of plays with on-off switches for our cells where it might allow a cell that isn't normal to grow out of control and become a cancer. Uh, again, it's very common. You can get this from a number of different ways, uh, but the most common way that people get HPV infections is through sexual transmission. And that doesn't mean intercourse necessarily. You, it, the mo- you can definitely get it through intercourse, but you can also get it just from close genital-to-genital skin contact. You p- perhaps could even get it from kissing, but the risk is much lower. Um, and then it has been found under fingernails. Uh, we don't think it can be spread that way, but it has been found that way. Interesting. And, and, and we should probably back up and say HPV stands for human papillomavirus. Yes, it stands for human papillomavirus. More than 150 different types. Some cause warts on the fingers, some cause warts on the genitals, and some, a few, are known to cause cancers. And in fact, it, it can cause uh, up to six different types of cancers. And what are those cancers? So the most common up until recently has been cervix cancer, which can only occur in women, and vaginal and vulvar cancer. But more recently, we've learned that it causes most anal cancers in both men and women. And the fastest-growing HPV-related cancer right now is oral pharynx cancer. And there's a, that's a big word, but there are a number of different structures in the mid-throat or the oral pharynx. And the ones that are associated with HPV cancers are the ones in the back of the tongue or in the tonsils, areas that are too far back for somebody to see if they're just looking in your mouth. Uh, and then also penile cancer, so six different types of cancers. And how effective is the vaccine? The vaccine is very effective if you give it before you're exposed. So this vaccine is for prevention. Uh, We talked earlier that it allows your immune system to respond really aggressively to the HPV virus if it shows up and if you're exposed and kind of get it out of your system before it gets a chance to interact with your cells. So if you give it to a young person who's never been exposed and who has a great immune system, usually kids under the age of 15, you are... almost 100% effective in preventing infections from the subtypes in this vaccine. And let me stress that the vaccine that we're using now, we call it the HPV-9 or the nonovalent vaccine, prevents infections from nine different types of the HPV um, virus. So there are two that are known for causing warts in the genitals. That's HPV 6 and 11. And then there's two HPV types that are known for causing most of the cancers I mentioned, and those are HPV 16 and 18. But we have learned that there are a few other high-risk types, and the new nine-valent vaccine actually covers the four that I just mentioned plus five other high-risk subtypes of HPV that can cause cancer. So if you give the vaccine to a young person, it's so effective that you only have to give it twice 
usually about six months apart, to somebody who's under 15. But once you hit 15, you have a couple of disadvantages. One is that the older the child gets into their adolescence and into their teenage years and into their their young 20s, the higher chance they have already been exposed through some sort of intimate contact with another person. If you're already exposed to a type, it's not going to be able to make that infection go away. Also, if you're over 15, you will need three shots because it doesn't appear that your immune system remembers things as well. Great. Thank you for that. Dr. Spitter, I'd like to bring you into the conversation. Um, When did the vaccine become available to pediatricians, and how were you as a doctor introduced to the vaccine? So the vaccine came available about 10 years ago, um, and uh, when I was in my practice, I was introduced to it uh, really through hearing about it uh, from a number of uh, sources, both from our infectious disease experts at Texas Children's Hospital, um, from the pharmaceutical company that was producing the vaccine. They routinely go out and, and will teach us about new products, and, and then reading about it uh, in various forms of the literature. Um, it was something that uh, you know we were you know hearing about, and we're very excited to know that this was going to be our first you know true anti-cancer vaccine. Um, so it was something that we were all anticipating. And so, so so the I was going to ask you about how they responded really to the news of the vaccine, but you know you you, you were anticipating it, and so how has the rollout been or the um, acceptance? In well, I, I would say certainly that's been quite disappointing, and I think some of it was a, a timing issue. Um, at the time when it was first, uh, when it first came out onto the market, um, you know, in Texas at the time, uh, Governor uh, Perry um, wanted to mandate the uh, the vaccine, and you know we do have uh, many of our vaccines that are mandated for school, um, and 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 certainly as a pediatrician, we like vaccines to be mandated because we know that we're going to have a much higher rate of those vaccines being given, which is a very good thing. But for something that was brand new to the market that was uh, an unknown, um, I think the timing, you know, was certainly a little, um, it, it was not the best timing, I don't think. And I think that that caused a lot of people to be, you know, turned off to the fact that they didn't want to be forced into doing something that they weren't comfortable with. And, and again, I think as, you know, as physicians, certainly as pediatricians, we like to explain to our families we want them to be comfortable with something that's new to them. And so this really did turn off a lot of families because it was, you know, being potentially forced on them. And of course, that that did not happen. The law was never passed. But that really set the tone um, really going forward that that put uh, that vaccine in a, in a negative light. And then Another big component, of course, being that people thought of it as a sexually transmitted uh, disease type of vaccine and, and the concerns around that and the fact that there were many of them were in denial that their children would ever, you know, be exposed to the virus anytime during their, you know, teenage years. So a combination of those things really, I think, uh, caused the acceptance of this vaccine to start off uh, low and then to remain a challenge as far as trying to get uh, families to uh, get their uh, you know, their adolescents vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Great. We are going to take a quick commercial break and we're going to pick up right where we're leaving off here. So stick with us. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. And we'd like to thank our sponsors today, AstraZeneca and Lilly Oncology. We'll be back right after this commercial break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. 
For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word terms I don't understand, choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you a breakaway from cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, 
Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is on HPV, and I'm so lucky to be joined by two experts in this field, Dr. Ramandetta and Dr. Spinner, both from the great state of Texas, who are sharing with us information about HPV, the types of cancer potentially caused by HPV, a vaccine that can be used to help minimize risk or prevent the prevent the disease. And um, I would like to start right where we left off when that was with you, Dr. Spinner, we had talked about um, leading into this that the the HPV virus that eight out of ten patients or eight out of ten people will be exposed to the HPV virus at some point in their life, and that still there's about a ninety two percent or I'm sorry a forty two percent compliance rate with the the vaccine. So can you talk to us a little bit about how the vaccine is administered and what is the current vaccination schedule and and how changes in that may or may have affected this compliance rate. Sure. So, you know, the vaccine is given by injection, so it's a shot uh, given into the arm, much like, um, you know, all the other, just most of the other vaccinations are given uh, that same way. Um, and the way the schedule works, and I know Dr. Ramadetta mentioned about this change that's just basically starting to happen, but um, the the FDA has approved the vaccine uh, starting as young as nine years of age, uh, up through 26 years of age. When the new nine-valent vaccine came on the market, um, Basically, the recommendations were for girls uh, still 9 through 26 and for boys 9 through 21 years of age. Um, but the ACIP, uh, which is the kind of the governing body that we as pediatricians normally follow for when we give our vaccinations, recommends the starting of the vaccine typically at age 11. Uh, again, uh, we usually start talking to the families about it uh, at, at the 10-year-old checkup so they have a chance to hear about it and to have a chance to look, you know, to research it and learn about it. But ideally, we like to start it at that 11-year uh, checkup visit. And with the you know, with the current or the the previous schedule with the with the three dose uh, vaccine that was given to adolescents of all ages, you know, they they would get the the first dose, and then they would get the second dose. You know, usually within one to two months, and then the third dose uh, at least six months after starting it. Uh, the goal was to try to get all three doses done within a year, uh, and you know, giving multiple doses is challenging for adolescents because they're not coming into the doctor's office that often, um, and so you know, getting them back to uh, back for their second or third doses, um, again, is, is always a bit of a challenge. And in some cases, we may not get that second dose in until, you know, six months or even a year later and the third dose even after that. But, but fortunately, it still is effective that way. It's just that it's taking longer to get it. And again, the, the risk of, of being exposed to the virus continues to rise with each passing year. So our goal is to try to, you know, get our patients immunized as quickly as, as, as possible. Um, this new schedule that's, um, that's, that's been approved, again, will um, be two doses. Again, as long as you're under the age of 15 years when you, you know, get started and that first dose is given, the second dose can be given uh, at least six months after the first dose. Um, we think that will greatly help, uh, you know, get uh, a lot of our patients, you know, immunized because two doses is a lot easier than three. Um, and so we are very, you know, excited that that, uh, that change has occurred. Um, comparing it to other vaccines, I mean, again, you know, they're, they're given, you know, the same way for the most part. They're, they're given by injections. Another big issue, and I mentioned it, you know, when I talked about what uh, Governor Rick Perry tried to do, is, you know, HPV is not mandated by the state of Texas in order to go to school or to attend college compared to many other vaccines. And so when families are told about their children coming in for, you know, their teenage vaccines, they'll often say, well, what do I, what does my child have to have to go to school? 
And that is where a lot of our challenges are as uh, physicians is how do we present the need for the vaccine versus what the state requires as far as what the law says. And I teach our physicians, uh, I, you know, and again, when, it was, when I was in my practice, I would tell our families, I can't speak to our, our state legislatures as to what they want to do and why, but the vaccine is every bit as necessary as the other ones. And we can talk a little bit more about, you know, the incidence of cancers and so forth, but that, you know, stressing the fact that this is a cancer to prevent, I mean, a vaccine that prevents cancer, and that nothing can be more important for your teenager to have a vaccine that prevents cancer, whether this, whether it's required for school or not, is truly not, I mean, to me, it's a meaningless issue. It's what your child should have for their own health and their own protection. Well, and so we heard Dr. Ramondetta again, talk about the 42% compliance rate for the HPV vaccine, and then an 80-some percent compliance rates for other vaccines. So from your point of view, are there any differences between this vaccine or others that you administer? Or, or why do you think there is that big difference in the compliance rate? Is it because of the state laws? I will tell you, it's, it's a combination of, of factors. The fact that it's not required uh, by the state is a huge factor because, again, many families, all they want to do is get what's required. They're not interested in getting anything else. There is the fear that even though this vaccine's been out for, you know, 10 years and, um, Gosh, you know, 60, 70 million doses at least have been given. There's still fear from the fact that, it, you know, people have claimed that it's caused all sorts of significant uh, side effects, and there is absolutely no evidence for that whatsoever. But people, you know, you know, read things and they worry about it. And another major factor is that there's the fear that uh, giving this vaccine in some way may promote, uh, uh, you know, their children to... Uh, you know, to have sex at an earlier age. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, there's studies that have absolutely shown zero, you know, incidence of that. So we have to, you know, get past these several barriers, which we don't need to do with most of our other vaccines. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Dr. Ramondetta, let's go back to you for a second. And um, I believe that Dr. Spinner mentioned that the vaccine is now recommended for both boys and girls, and that wasn't always the case, correct? Well, it it happened pretty quickly. I mean, 2006 is when the vaccine was first approved for girls, but by 2007, it was recommended for boys as well, and it's just been a really long time. Uh, It's been a very slow increase in the number of of people who are getting their kids vaccinated, and uh, and although... um, the recommendations are up to age 21 uh, for boys. They actually can be given up to age 26 and be covered by um, your insurance companies. So tw- we usually say 9 to 26, but ideally you want to get both uh, both boys and girls vaccinated age 11 and 12, and definitely before they turn 15 so that you can get, a, get just those two shots. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at somebody that's in their 20s and they haven't mm-hmm. been vaccinated, would you say it's it's never too late? It is too late. Make sure you get the three shots. What would you say to somebody that's? I would say it's, it's not too late. It is going to be less effective because the chances are that they may have been exposed. Um, but uh, we would even give it to somebody who had a precancer of the cervix. So, what happens with women when they get HPV is is uh, they may get a precancer or a growth on their cervix that can be removed. Um, and the, the thing to remember is that the new vaccine or the vaccine we have now, um, which worldwide over 200 million doses have been given, there there are actually nine types that can be prevented against. So chances of you having been exposed to all of those is really small. So even if you may have been exposed to one of the viral types, there's still 
the other eight that you could be protected against. So I would say all the way up to age 26, boys and girls should be vaccinated. And, um, and of course, you do, do have the, the disadvantage of having to get all three shots if you're 15 or over uh, and the, the possible chance that you've already been exposed. So never too late, but not as good. Got it. Okay. And Dr. Spinner, you had talked about um, how eager your, you and your colleagues were for the vaccine to come out. Did you really anticipate the, the level of pushback that you were that you would re- receive? Uh, honestly, no. I, I think that um, with any new vaccine, and over the many years we have had many new vaccines, fortunately, that have come to the market that we use. So with, with the introduction of any of the new vaccines, you know, we've always anticipated some reluctance, the, the need to educate and for families to have a chance to maybe think about it and, you know, before, you know, doing it. But again, for all the factors that we've talked about, uh, the pushback was certainly greater than I think most of us or any of us would have anticipated. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a number of you, yourself included, have, have been really reaching out to, to increase the awareness and education. Right. And, I'll, you, know, and um, you know, one of the things that I have found to be really um, interesting is with the, you know, with the incidence of the of the head and head and neck or or pharyngeal cancers that uh, HPV is causing and and the, and the alarming increase in those cancers, I have found that even a lot of our pediatricians aren't as aware of that, and so mm-hmm. their their ability to educate the families is is really important for them to have that type of information. So we're trying to educate our caregivers as much as we are our families as far as why this is critical for not just the girls but but for the boys as well, um, and that's something that we're working very hard to do. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Ramandetta, just reemphasize for our listeners why it's so important to vaccinate before sexual activity begins. And and define sexual activity is doesn't have to be intercourse. So one um, oral sex can be included as well as just close genital genital contact. So the once you're exposed, the vaccine does not work um, to get rid of a virus that you already have in your body. And we now know that of the 31,000 cancers per year that occur that are attributed to HPV, that 28,000 or almost 29,000 of those are attributable to types that are being prevented by this HPV-9 vaccine. So it's really important. We're seeing more new oral pharynx cancers at MD Anderson Cancer Center now than we Mm -hmm. see new cervix cancer patients. Wow. So by 2020, we all anticipate that the most common HPV-related cancer will be oral pharynx, and the people who are getting those cancers are men, usually in their 55-year-old age range. And the big difference between a cervix cancer and an oral pharynx cancer, beside the location, is there is no screening test for an oral pharynx cancer. As I said Mm -hmm. before, it's located too far back in the throat to see. It starts deep down in the crypts of the tonsils, and the most common presentation is the recognition of a, of a middle-aged man while he's shaving his neck, noticing a lymph node where it has already spread to. And so that's why it's so important that we need to vaccinate all boys and girls to try to prevent a cancer that we know the cause of. It's really rare for us to have that, this opportunity. Um, any diagnosis of cancer is terrible, but to, to meet a cancer patient or to be a cancer patient where you actually knew how to prevent it and, and know that that step wasn't taken, 
mm-hmm. uh, is, is just a tragedy. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. And let me just ask one clarifying question while I got you. So you mentioned that there is the new vaccine. What if you have a child who may have been vaccinated 10 years ago or so when the vaccines first came out? Yeah. Is there Are they still covered or is there a recommendation for a new vaccine? What's What's so the first thing I'll say is I want to clarify that new, it's, what's new about it, it's the same as the vaccine that was out 10 years ago, but they've added those five other types. So we know a lot about it. We know about its safety. There are great systems in place to look for abnormalities that come up when people give vaccines. And this is really important for the listeners who are, who may be, maybe using a little too much Google or Facebook or something like that to get some of their mm-hmm. medical care. We have a great system where all abnormality, all incidences after vaccine are reported and then they're explored. Be- just because they're reported doesn't necessarily mean that they were related. So the next step after that is all the all our, our groups from the CDC and the American College of Immunization Practice and our vaccine makers themselves uh, look back to see if there's a trend and then to look at the things that happen after vaccines. And, and I, I've heard a great example recently, and I know Dr. Spinner can probably comment on this, but a good example is on the oral uh, rotavirus vaccine that came out a few years ago or many years ago. It was only on the market for about eight to nine months before people recognized that there was a problem with it, and it was pulled off the market. Now we have 10 years of data. 90 million doses in the U.S., 200 million doses worldwide on HPV, and there is no evidence of any problems other than redness at the site, and that when you give a vaccine to a teenager, they might faint, Um, and so it's best to lay them down, and that's any vaccine. Now, back to what you asked, I usually give the examples that I have two daughters. I have a 19-year-old daughter who is vaccinated with the four-valent vaccine or the, the same version of the vaccine we have now but only covers four different types instead of nine. And I have a younger daughter who's 10 who will get vaccinated next year with the nine-valent. I, it is a personal choice for most people to revaccinate with uh, with the nine valent. There will be probably no recommendation from the the national agencies regarding revaccinating. It will be a personal choice, but what, what I can tell you is that the most important virus types that cause cancer are in or were in all three types of vaccines that were out there. So HPV-16 and HPV-18 are in all the vaccines. So my daughter was covered and protected against those. If you look at her protection against cervix cancer with the the older vaccine, uh, it was it's about 70%. So 70% of cervix cancers can be prevented with those older vaccines. If you give the newer vaccine you're preventing about 85% of cervical cancers. So you do increase it. Definitely it's a better vaccine, but most likely she'd have to get all three shots again. Um, chances are she wouldn't let me do that anyway. Um, <laughs> but, but otherwise, uh, it's, it will be a personal choice. And the good thing to know is that all the anal cancers and the oral pharynx cancers are mostly related to HPV-16, which is in all, all of the vaccines that have been out. Great. Thank you. That's very helpful. We are going to step away for another quick commercial break, but please join us uh, when we return and we'll continue this conversation about a really important and fascinating topic. Uh, This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. 
Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. This is Linda House, and I am your guest host today. Kim Tibaldo will be back with you next week. This episode today is brought to you in part by Insight, Novocure, and Taiho Oncology, and we thank them for their support. I am joined today by Dr. Ramondetta and Dr. Spinner, who are both from the great state of Texas and who have really made it their mission to work on the issue of highly preventable cancers by using the HPB 
virus. And so I want to just jump right back into um, the questions. And Dr. Ramondetta, let's talk a little bit about why you have chosen to make the HPV vaccine your personal mission. Uh, So I'm a gynecologic oncologist, and I treat women who have uh, gynecologic cancers, ovarian, uterine, cervical, vaginal, and vulvar. But uh, I find, uh, as I I said, all cancers are are terrible. Nobody wants to be diagnosed with cancer. But when I meet women who have been diagnosed with cervix cancer, which I do, especially in um, the underinsured population who who don't have as good an access to prevention techniques, I'm... I'm so um, I'm so upset when I when I meet these women because I feel like everybody in the society has had a part in this where we we really need to make sure that people have the education in school about how to take care of themselves and how to do preventative testing. We need access to preventative health care for everybody. Uh, and then we need uh, to make sure that everybody gets vaccinated and understands that a lot of great science has gone into the, the making of a vaccine and they help protect people and we have good safety data on, on the vaccines that we're giving. So again, it, it's uh, I work in both MD Anderson Cancer Center and in, in a county institution or the Harris Health System in Houston where we see a lot of patients who are underinsured and may not have known or had access to pap tests. And I still see almost every week, a new cervical cancer patient. And uh, these are young women. The average age for cervix cancer is around 45, but I have patients as young as their late 20s. They lose their fertility. They are in pain. Uh, They often have to go through radiation, go through menopause early, and it's just uh, something that I wish we never had to see, definitely in the United States, but really anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. And I love your comment earlier that if you have cancers that are so preventable by by having the, this vaccine, it just does seem like a tragedy to not... Well, I think we always talk about eating healthy, exercising, reducing your stress. These are things that you have to do every single day, all the time, and you still have... A, a, we still don't understand everything. This is a vaccine where we know prevents an infection that you just have to get twice now, just two shots before you turn 15 that will help prevent these cancers. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Spinner, what what was it that triggered your your passion and your outreach? Well, you know, I think that um, you know you, we mentioned that there are some other vaccinations that are given to our adolescents that um, are you know widely accepted and are mandated in the state of Texas. And you know, in our in our organization, you know, we're close to ninety percent on on those two. And when I look at you know how much um, of a challenge it's been with HPV and the fact that it can prevent you know so many kinds of cancers, and Dr. Imendetta can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, my understanding is that you know in this country you know more people you know die each year of HPV related disease than all the other diseases that we can vaccinate combined, and and that's just an absolutely an amazing fact that again most people don't think about. You know, as a pediatrician, you know, we're not treating our patients for, you know, these forms of cancers because we're not taking care of them when they're in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. But our goal is prevention of disease, and the use of any vaccine is so important. I mean, it's, I think, the single greatest thing that medical science has ever done to help eliminate you know, disease is to prevent disease by, by vaccinating against them. So, I mean, that's part and parcel of what we do as pediatricians. And when I see the 
great number of of our of our children and young adults who are not getting that type of so you know such an important thing to do. I, I found that we really have to work at teaching everyone our you know our, mm. our physicians, our families, the importance of the disease, the importance of the vaccine, the safety and the effectiveness of it. So I thought it was, it was a challenge to me and. Um, the fact that, you know, I can see that we are increasing our rates within our um, practices. Our families are getting educated. Our physicians are getting educated. They're getting more passionate about it. It's been very, you know, that, that's why I'm so passionate about it, because it's such an area that we need to improve on so much. And, again, as Dr. Medeta has said, thought of, of meeting someone, uh, and, you know, I think we can all relate to, you know, members, either or family members or close friends or colleagues that have suffered, uh, you know, dramatically from one form of cancer caused by HPV, and to know that today we can pre- virtually prevent that if we really do our jobs uh, in educating our families and educating uh, those of us in the healthcare industry about the the realities of, of, of the disease and the vaccine, I mean, th- this is something that, you know, we didn't have that opportunity two years ago. We couldn't prevent cancer with a vaccine years ago, and we can today. And so how can you not be passionate about that? Mm-hmm. Well, and so maybe you could speak to this article that was written in the Washington Post that that surveyed 776 doctors. It was done by the Harvard Medical School and the University of North Carolina that it found that, in, um, that these doctors, whenever they would talk about the HPV vaccination, they would talk about it in a way that would likely discourage parents from having their, their children vaccinated. And so, you know, in that study, more than a quarter of the doctors said they, they didn't strongly endorse the vaccine, and a similar proportion didn't recommend it for preteens. So where do you think that's coming from? Well, first of all, I, I agree very much with the findings because I have seen that in, you know, we have uh, 52 practices and over 260 physicians, and we have found that is often the case with our physicians and our medical staff that they'll present the, uh, when, the when the 11-year-old comes in for their checkup, they'll be told that there's two vaccinations that your child needs to get today, and then there's this third vaccine uh, for, you know, HPV. And that type of presentation immediately, you know, lowers its importance, uh, I think, the perception of it to the family. And again, I think a lot of it comes from, one, the fact that it's not mandated. I've, I've talked to several of our physicians and I've asked them, why aren't you presenting all three vaccinations in the same, you know, you know limelight? And they say, well, because the parents will say, is it, that, is it mandatory or not? And I say, well, again, the fact that the state mandates or doesn't mandate it is meaningless. It's what's important for your patients to get. And you know, you know that this is equally every bit as important as the other two that we're giving at that age. Um, and so, but getting past that has been very difficult for physicians. And frankly, the fact that there's so much negative and false uh, publicity about the vaccine that people read about, physicians, I think, you know, in a 10-minute in a visit when they're trying to do so many things, really get to be intimidated about even trying to have the conversation. And again, that's a real shame because that's such a, a, an imperative thing that we do, that we educate our families. But I think they often just try to avoid the issue because of the time. And uh, that's something we're working hard to overcome. Mm-hmm. Well, and stay with that for just a second, because the American, the American Association of Pediatrics recently came out with a recommendation that pediatricians become the providers who provide education about sex and sexuality. When you think about the the time factor with your with your patients, you know what are your thoughts around that recommendation? 
Yeah, well, you know, you think about all the things that we should be doing when we see our, our patients for their well checks and the amount of time that we have, it's it's virtually impossible to be totally inclusive. Um, I, I think that, you know, uh, the, the, the issue as far as, you know, talking to our patients about, you know, sex and sexuality I mean, it's it's very important. Uh, certainly, you know, at a relatively young age in our young teens, they really need to be educated as far as what's what's happening to their body, what the risks are. Um, that, but the fact that this vaccine has been kind of tied to a sexual thing has been, I think, again, very detrimental to the ability to get our families to accept it because families are just in denial that their children would be, you know, ever exposed to this virus for any any time within the next several years. I mean, if you talk to a, a parent of an 11-year-old, their first thought is, oh, my gosh, my child won't be doing any of that for many years to come. Why should we think about it today? And, again, it's, it is preventative. You do it prior to exposure. Uh, but, you know, my goal is to emphasize the need of the vaccine to be is a cancer vaccine. It's a vaccine that prevents cancer. Mm-hmm. The mode of transmission should not be the primary focus of the vaccine. It should be the fact that this vaccine prevents cancer every child and every young adult should get this vaccine. Uh, and so that's what we should be focusing on. And I would add, it, it's, it would be great for the pediatricians to do this, but they, sh- they shouldn't be doing it on the day they're giving the vaccine. They should be giving the vaccine just like they give the meningitis and the Tdap vaccine and, and talking about these are things that you can become exposed to and we're trying to prevent you from either getting an infection or getting an, a cancer illness, this is time for a separate visit. And if you start the vaccine even earlier, 9, 10, 11, these are, this is just a matter of fact. We're, we're helping to prevent infection and cancer and we're going to give you these shots today. And that visit about sexual behavior or learning about your body and how to care for it can be on another visit. Uh, it doesn't have to be on the same visit. In fact, it's best if it's not. Yes, I agree. And again, if you if you're giving the vaccine starting at age 11, you know, typically that's going to be done before you would probably start having some of those other discussions. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you very much. We are going to have to skip to our commercial break. Please stay with us right after this break, and we'll be back with final thoughts from Dr. Ramandetta and Dr. Spinner. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you a breakaway from cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts, and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. 
Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. This is Linda House. I'm your guest host today. This episode is brought to you in part by Bristol-Myers Squibb, Celgene, EMD Serono, and Decatur Oncology. This has been such a great show, and I wanted to just reach back out to our guests today, Dr. Ramondetta of MD Anderson's Department of Gynecologic Oncology, and Dr. Stan Spinner, who is from the Texas Children's Pediatrics and Texas Children's Urgent Care. And we've had such a great conversation about HPV today. I wanted to reach out to both of you for final thoughts about HPV. What would you like our listeners to remember as they walk away from this episode? And where can they receive additional information? Dr. Ramondetta, why don't I start with you? Uh, I will say that, uh, that this vaccine is so important. Uh, I've said this before, that everybody can only hope that their children will have an intimate relationship with somebody at some point way off in the future of their life, and it is our job to protect them. Um, It only takes one partner, and that there's great information on the CDC website, um, but you can also look into the MD Anderson Cancer Moonshot as well. Great. Thank you. Dr. Spinner. Well, I would certainly echo everything that Dr. Ramadetta had said, and in what I've try to um, explain to our families is that your child will most likely be exposed to the virus um, sometime during his or her lifetime, uh, and that whether it's one partner or multiple partners, it only takes one exposure to potentially get cancer from this virus, and that's why it is so important that they be protected 
as early as possible. Um, and in addition to the CDC website, certainly uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the AAP website, also has you know, very important uh, information about HPV and, and the vaccination as well. Great. Thank you. And I just did a quick Google search, and I see the MD Anderson Moonshot program. So if you just type in Moonshot and HPV, you will see a video recording um, about the the program. And certainly you can contact us here at the Cancer Support Community, and we are happy to make any connections that we possibly can. So it has been beyond my pleasure to have the two of you join us today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. And thank you to our listeners. I am, again, Linda House, who is the president of the Cancer Support Community. I'm your guest host today. Your host, Kim Tebaldo, our CEO, will in fact be with you next week. As mentioned in this show earlier, the Cancer Support Community provides a multitude of in-person, online, and telephonic support. For more information about our programs, visit us at www.cancersupportcommunity.org, or you are more than welcome to call our telephone helpline and speak with one of our licensed mental health professionals Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. That number is 888-793-9355. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.